It's great to be with you, here with you this morning. Uh, uh, I'll be doing the first segment of this, and then Tim Pierce uh, will be doing the second. And both of us attend at North Andover Campus of Free Christian Church. So if you're ever trying to track us down, that's probably where you'll be able to find us. And uh, we've done, Tim and I, along with John Gibbons and, and Ken Thornton, we've done three apologetic seminars in the fall here um, on, and apologetics, as uh, Nick was saying, is about how we, uh, really it means how we give reasons for our faith. What are the reasons we have for the topics we covered in the first, first three apologetic sessions were why do we believe that God exists? Uh, secondly, what is the relationship between faith and science? Is there any kind of conflict? And thirdly, we talked about the trustworthiness of the Bible. These are all very uh, relevant topics in our uh, culture today. This morning, and we're going to have a fourth session in close to Easter about the evidence for the resurrection of Christ, and that will be on the Sunday before Easter on Sunday evening. This morning, we're going to talk about conversational apologetics, that is, making the case for Christ by asking the right questions. And whenever we are talking in conversation with people, uh, sometimes we have this thought that... Um, we have the answers, we need to kind of dump the answers on people, we need to tell everybody that we need the gospel, and we do want to do that, but how we actually get the opportunity to share the gospel, what are the, the things that we can do that might enable us to, or give us the opportunity to share the gospel? And one of those ways is to ask people questions. That's how you get enabled uh, to get into spiritual conversations with people. Um, now, but as a background to that, I'm going to talk this morning, for the first part, about recognizing worldviews. Because in our culture today, you know, we, we live in a pluralistic culture. And so we want to know, uh, how do we see this pluralism impacting our lives? Um, how do we see it in the people that we meet? How do we recognize their worldview? What is a worldview anyway, and why is it important? And what are some of the popular worldviews and how do they compare to the Christian worldview? Um, the second part that Tim's going to talk about is going to be about the conversational tactics about how we can ask the right questions to engage to, that will lead to spiritual conversations. Can you hold that mic up? Sure. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, CP. Uh, and then we'll have, in each of the sections, we'll have a little bit of table time at your tables for, for some discussion. So what, um, when we talk about pluralism, um, JP and Brian Page in their the latest sermon series have talked about how we live in a post-Christian culture. And uh, even President Obama said that whatever we once were, we're, we're no longer a Christian nation. And when he said that, a lot of people got offended. But in reality, he was really just making an observation. I think we all kind of realize that's true when you see the power structures in our society and market today, the media, the government, you know, there's largely devoid of Christian influences. And that doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of Christians in this country. There are. But our voices have been muted to, to a, a large degree in, in cult, as a cultural influence. So um, we live in a pluralistic culture, and... Uh, how did that come about? Well, we have immigrants from all over the world. We have people who've come here with, from different faith backgrounds and different cultures. So naturally, 
um, they're going to, we're going to see that re reflected around us. Um, also, many people whose parents and grandparents may have gone to church regularly were brought up not going to church. So you have a significant portion of the population, particularly in the Gen Xers and millennial generation, who are completely unchurched. And that means they have no concept of what the Christian faith even is all about. What, what are the precepts of the Christian faith? Who is Jesus Christ and what did he do? Um, they don't even have a concept of, of those ideas. And um, so as much as you know, a quarter of the population may, in, the, in our country may be unchurched. Now, um, however, and so that you know, sounds, all that kind of sounds negative. It sounds like we're heading in the wrong direction, and, and maybe we are as, culturally. But the fact is, in surveys, um, what we found is that about 90% of the population considers themselves to be spiritual. And so even if they're not practicing any particular religion or not attending religious services, they consider themselves to be spiritual. And I think that's, a, that's really a legacy of how God created us. He created us as spiritual beings. Everybody feels that uh, and has that understanding. So, um, so that means that there are opportunities that we have to engage in spiritually oriented conversations with people. Now, what is actually um, a worldview? What is a person's worldview? Um, any any thoughts on that? Anybody want to offer a, an idea? Yes. A pervasive attitude is not even a worldview; it's my view, right? Uh -huh. my, my truth. You uh -huh. believe whatever you want, but you know the way that I see the world is the way the world is. Right. Yeah. So it's basically. Um, a person's understanding of the world around them. And they may believe that everybody has their personal truth. That's a kind of a relativistic view of truth. Or they may have an absolute view of truth that there is only one right way, and it's the way that I believe. Christians believe that we have truth that's been given to us through the scriptures and through Jesus Christ. Um, so we have that exclusive view of truth, understanding of truth. So a person's understanding of, uh, of the world around them gets to their core beliefs about certain things, about the creation, where did this world come from, about their understanding of God, who is God or if there is a God, and about human nature, what are human beings like, because we're different from animals, how did we get the qualities that we have uh, as human beings. And then when we look at the world around us, we see that there's a lot wrong with the world. Something, you know, there's some fundamental problems with the world. There's a lot of evil out there. So where did that evil come from? And how can it be fixed? Is there some way that... And so all worldviews deal with these questions. Um, and then they also have to deal with what is our part in participating or trying to fix the situation of this evil that we see around us. And finally, how will it all end? How will it end for us as individuals and as a society or as even as the universe? How will the universe end? So all those things are part of a person's worldview. And even if people have not thought much about their worldview, um, everyone still has a worldview. And uh, if they haven't consciously made the decisions for a particular religious faith or, um, or a secular worldview, 
they've absorbed it from the culture around them. So what are the influences? What are the things that might influence to adopt a certain worldview, right? We have, growing up, we have the influences of our parents and our siblings and what they taught us about morality and about um, what was right. We have the educational system. How does that, what does that teach us about um, the things that influence our worldview? What is our religious background? Do we grow up attending religious services or not? As adults, how we have participated in the political process, or have we been politically oppressed? Many people coming to this country are coming from places where they were politically oppressed. That affects their worldview, how they see the world. Our social circles, who do we hang out with, and what, what is their worldview? And finally, our own life experience, um, whether for good or bad, the, the traumatic experiences we've had, or the real highlights and good experiences that we've had shape our worldview as well. So all these things influence us. And I would add one more thing, and that is what I would call divine appointment. Um, and even people, you know, you have 90% of the population out there who considers themselves spiritual, they would also think that um, they would be open to the idea that God might be working in their lives, that God might be trying to communicate with them. And if even if you ask, if, if let's say... Uh, a non-believer who never attends religious services is sick, and you offer to pray for them, they'll more than happy to have you pray for them, right? Because they have a spiritual aspect to their life. So they want you to pray for them. They believe that it can help. Um, so even non-believers have this concept of divine appointment. We as Christians, when we look back at how we came to faith, we can see how God worked in our lives, and in some cases, over decades to bring us to the point where we, we could come to faith. So, uh, so that also, uh, when we look at our lives, we can see how that is also a part of our worldview, our experiences and our uh, um, experience with divine appointment. So um, I have a, uh, a handout that where Tim is going to hand out um, and put on all the tables, and it's it's a chart of worldviews, and this is really to help you understand different the different worldviews that are out there. It's not exhaustive by any means, but and even within what how it describes each worldview, you, know, you could flesh that out in a lot more detail. Um, you could take college courses in those, but this is just to kind of give you an overview of different worldviews. So Christian overview of the Christian worldview a kind of modern materialist worldview, Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu uh, worldviews, what I call the Star Wars worldview or the Avatar worldview, if you've seen those movies, right? They have similar worldviews um, that are kind of based on Taoism, Taoism, which is a Chinese uh, religious faith. There's uh, the postmodern or and existential worldviews, which... Um, are really skeptical worldviews that really doubt whether there is truth, doubt um, whether you can really know anything for certain. And then the, the view of the average person, the average Joe, who's maybe not religious, might believe in God, but is not sure what God, who God is, maybe views him as being very distant, not really involved in human affairs. 
um, and has just basically a view that they just need to be live a good life and you know they will be favorably judged. <coughs> so those are kind of the worldviews I have listed here. And then across the columns, there's the components of the worldview: the view of creation, the view of God, humanity, what is what is wrong with the world, how can it be fixed, you know, what is our part, and how will it all end. And then I've added. What is the source of truth in the worldview? Where did they get their ideas for the, these worldview? And this is very important. Um, uh, and then, what are the major problems with the worldview? When people look at the worldview, what are the questions that they're asking about what are the possible ways that uh, it might be inconsistent or um, with what they know? So, for example, even in the Christian worldview, Christian worldview must also explain uh, the source of evil, where evil came from. Uh, in fact, all worldviews have to answer that question. Um, Christians need to ex explain miracles. The Bible talks about miracles. So some people doubt miracles if they have a completely naturalistic view of things. Uh, so the alleged conflict between Christianity and science. And I say alleged because you know we have a lot of... Um, people with advanced science degrees in this congregation, they are believers. So it is not true that you can't um, have a good understanding of science and have a, a Christian faith. Uh, now, uh, so we believe that the Christian worldview is superior in its explanatory power of all these different components of the worldview, right? So from a philosophical standpoint, you might say... <laughs> it's raining. Uh, from a philosophical point of view, we might say, yes, the Christian worldview makes the most sense of any worldview. But, you know what, that's not the only reason why we might believe it, because even though it does have that great explanatory power... Um, Really, our conception of truth and the source of truth is based on God's revelation of himself. Right? God has revealed himself in, in nature, so we see the design of, uh, in nature and we attribute it to God. God has spoken historically through different people to different prophets, and we have that recorded in the Bible. And God has also spoken through Jesus Christ. He came as it, in human flesh as a human being. So Christianity has this great historical tie, this great source of truth of God himself speaking uh, into human history and into our lives. And then there's finally our own personal experience with God as he has revealed himself to us through uh, these things. Now, holders of all worldviews need to answer these, the basic questions of life that you know, we talked about as the headings going across the columns here. So Christianity, a lot of times we think, uh, we, or maybe we feel, that Christians are the only ones being put on the spot with respect to worldviews, right? And in reality, everybody needs to answer these questions. Every worldview needs to answer these questions. So it's not, so for us to ask questions of other people is le perfectly legitimate because we all, first of all, we all have quest the same questions and so every worldview needs to be accountable for whether their, that worldview accounts with the reality of the world around us, right? We live uh, in a world, as I said, that it seems to exhibit the design of a creator. 
we live in a world that exhibits beauty and uh, human beings who are filled with, uh, who are personal, self-conscious, and have a moral center. So where did that all come from? Worldviews need to answer those questions. So, for example, a completely naturalist worldview has a lot of trouble answering the question of how, of, about humanity, of how humans, how humans became different from the animals. Um, so, uh, what I'd like you to do for maybe 10 minutes now is, at your tables, take a look at the Star Wars slash Avatar worldview. Most of us have seen those movies. Or if you haven't seen the latest Star Wars movie, don't, don't talk about how it ends or anything like that. <laughs> you don't want to be a spoiler. But uh, most of us have seen at least one of the previous six movies, right? So um, uh, look at that, the Star Wars Avatar worldview and uh, just discuss how it's different from the Christian worldview. Try to find how it's different from the Christian worldview. Secondly, uh, think about what one question you would ask someone who holds this worldview. And obviously most, uh, I would say, people who hold this worldview don't really hold to the Star Wars universe. They don't believe in Jedi Knights and things like that. But they have uh, maybe corollaries to that. So uh, what question would you ask someone who has the, this worldview to clarify their worldview, to, to make it... Uh, uh, help you better understand it. And this is key when we interact with other people because we don't want to have, um, we don't want to kind of stereotype people into a worldview. It's easy to do that when you look at this worldview chart and say, oh, we, we bin people into these different worldviews, but we really want to understand what they believe in more depth. So it's, it's perfectly legitimate to ask people what, what they believe or to clarify something. And most people would be more than happy to do that. Uh, and thirdly, ask, what question would you ask that might put a stone in the shoe of the person who holds this worldview? And what do we mean by that? Well, when you have a stone, uh, if a worldview is like your shoes, um, if you have a stone in your shoe, you're very uncomfortable in your shoes, right? So uh, what we mean by uncomfortable is something that points out, a question that might point out an inconsistency in the worldview. So three, que three, three questions to discuss. And they're at the bottom of uh, this worldview sheet. So let's take about 10 minutes to do that. And then we'll regroup. <laughs> let's come back together. Um, so I guess uh, just take a couple of minutes to debrief. So. Um, and anybody can, can raise their hand and, and, and speak here. So what are some differences between the Star Wars worldview and the Christian worldview? Any, any thoughts? We didn't see the movie. <laughs> okay, Perry? How you make good on your sin. Oh, okay. Right. Can you repeat the end he said, how you, make, how you make good on your sin. How is sin taken care of in the Star Wars worldview? Uh, any other differences? Well, we talked about how the force is good or bad, and it seems to be equal either right. way, right. as opposed to one true truth or 
all-powerful God. Right, a good God. There's no evil in God, but in the Force there's a combination of good and evil. Uh, any other thoughts? Yes? Well, both seem to be explanations, but one seems to be based on Taoism, seems to be based on observations, and the Christianity seems to be based on revelation. Uh -huh. Okay. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so observation, um, whether or not, and then the, the idea is whether or not that those views actually comport with reality, right? And what, one other thing in our group we talked about was uh, the Christian God is personal, and this force is impersonal. So there's a very big difference. If we are personal beings, why is there any reason to think that God is not a personal being rather than this kind of impersonal, nebulous force? Okay, what question would you ask to gain a better understanding of the worldview, of someone who holds the worldview? Any, did you guys come up with any particular question? Yes? Uh, I think one of the things that, that certainly the question I had, and we kind of talked about a little bit about it, is how do you determine between the dark and the, and the, you know, the dark side and the good side? You know, how, do you, how, do you, how do you decide that personally? You know? How do you decide what's good and what's Questions that people had, uh, came up with, Larry. Uh, along with, with that, which I, I tried to explain or, or ask, and I ask this to people at work sometimes at lunch, but no one seems to quite get it. All of us have this concept that we know. We, we all agree that certain things are good um, for the most part. And, you know, it's it's good if society is stable, for example. It's good if people don't murder other people. But um, but if, if if there's this dualism like um, Star Wars, or, um, it, it's not. It's even worse than how do we decide what's good versus what's bad? Um, how do we um, the, the whole idea of how do you um, it's this idea of good and evil? Good good is not really right word. Good doesn't really exist at all unless we have a moral standard. Okay, so where, where does the absolute standard of good come from? Um, that we all kind of have this innate understanding. We all have this conscience. We all understand where does that concept of good come from if this force is composed of both good and evil kind of merged together and you know, how, how do you resolve that? Um, so what, what's the third question? How would, what kind of question would you ask to put a stone in someone's shoe who has this view? Any, any ideas? What happens when you die? What happens when you die, right. 
question and ask them, so how's it working out for you? <laughs> <laughs> What's the source of your knowledge? Right. Other What's than movies. Right. <laughs> no, but a lot of people might have this view, not so much because that they believe in Jedi Knights and things, but they've just kind of absorbed this as a worldview from, and so they have this dualistic belief, but what's the source of that truth? How do you know it's true? It's a, it's a very good question, because in Christianity we, we go to the scriptures, we go to the person of Christ, and that is our source of truth, but Before we even got into this, we were talking about a movie that you saw last night, where 13 hours, well, we can say, okay, we're the good guys, they're the bad guys, but on the other hand, they're looking at us and saying, no, we're the good guys, you're the bad guys. Right. So you have two people thinking the diametrically opposite things about each other, and in their minds, they're both the good guys. Right, right. So there's no, there's no way of distinguishing between who's the real good guys, I mean, other than the lightsaber color. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the movie last night. The sad thing is that American people are getting killed. They're trying to protect the compound. But the people that are killing them, they're also getting killed. And in the end, um, you know, you see the Americans getting taken care of, but you see hundreds of people lying there in fields where they come out and they're addressing them and they're, you know, they're crying over them and the children are there and the people are there that, oh, they're lost ones. And say, where are they going to go? So what you're actually what you're getting at is how does this Star Wars worldview of this dualistic worldview comport with reality? Because the reality is people are dying for different causes, opposing force, opposing causes. And how do you know which one is right, which one is really good? And and so um, very good questions. But actually, you know, you guys pointing out some of the things that uh, allow us to have these kinds of conversations with other people. You go to the movies, you see a movie, you start talking about it. You start looking at, you can steer the conversation to start talking about what worldview, what is being presented, and how is Hollywood trying to influence us, right? So at this point, I'm going to turn things over to Tim. Tim is going to talk a lot more about the conversational tactics that uh, we might use in these kinds of conversations. So a lot of what we're talking about, there's a book called Tactics. It's by a gentleman named Greg Kokel. He's actually one of the professors at Biola University where I am studying apologetics. I would recommend this book highly. It's very easy to read. Nearly everything that I'm going to be going over here in the next 25 minutes is in this book. There's also actually an app if you don't want to buy the book. Come, show, come up and see me. I'll show you the app. It's got 90% of the information that's in here. So... Uh, Tactics by Greg Kokel, another good book along this lines. I know Doug Saltz read it. He is uh, On Guard by William Lane Craig. I can, we can show you these. These are good books that can help to get you walking down some of the path. We want to keep talking about this conversational apologetics. So, uh, first of all, I love this presentation that Dan did with worldviews because sometimes it gets me tough to start to just realize, wait a minute, I do have a worldview, a way that I look at the world, a way that I look at reality and I'm talking with a person, it feels like they have a whole other worldview. How do we begin to have this conversation? Now one of the things that's of course important for us as Christians is 
just because there's two different worldviews doesn't mean that they're both wrong, which is kind of the mantra that people say today now. Nobody can really know the truth, so uh, we need to tolerate everybody. Well, of course, yeah, that's, that's true. We do need to tolerate each other's uh, opinions and values. But that tolerance has a certain point where we have to realize just because someone is saying that this is their worldview, that that doesn't make it absolutely correct. One of them is true. Either there is a God or there isn't a God, right? Either Jesus died for our sins or he didn't. And as Paul says in Corinthians, either Jesus rose from the dead or we're still stuck in our sins. So one of these worldviews has got to be right. So the question is, how are we going to share this? How are we going to share this in our work settings, in our families, even in our small groups with other people, people we meet on the street? How are we going to deal with this? The worldview is the first way to begin to look at it. Dan did a great job. Another way is we want to talk about the tactics. <coughs> now, the tactics of how we're going to be sharing this. But how would you uh, execute a tactic if you have to do it in the context of a strategy? So is there a game going on this weekend? Yeah. Something, something <laughs> happening, right? Well, and now... You're going to be done by four. Oh, that's right. So, so, all right, so there's a game. Well, that, this is just it. So what happens in a game? Are the coaches, do they go in there and just say, well, we're just going to go in and execute our... No, what are they doing? They're thinking about, well, where are we playing? They're thinking about the terrain. Who are we playing? They're thinking about who they're going to be engaging with. And then they're going to be thinking about, and what resources do we have as we're going to be engaging on this terrain with these people? So the tactics is how you answer those questions. It's how you execute the answering those questions. But I want to talk very quickly, and then we're going to get into some great uh, discussion time. I think we've got a couple of things set up that I pulled out of this book here. Um, I want to talk really quickly about the strategy. What's the terrain that we're on? And Pastor Brian, Pastor JP, I love the series we're in on First Peter, uh, where we're kind of talking about, it explains our terrain. Listen, we're exiles. And so a couple of verses that I've got here is, we are God's elect, this is in First Peter 1.1, uh, we're God's elect scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, Northern Massachusetts, southern New Hampshire, you get the idea, right? I mean, we, we need to look at ourselves as not residents of this world. We are here, we're, we're sojourners through here. Peter constantly talks about us being aliens and strangers. So, continuing to think about how we should view ourselves in this terrain that we're on, too. What did Jesus say? He said, I'm sending you out sheep amongst wolves. So, of course, he says, you want to be shrewd as a snake, but as innocent as a dove. That, you know, that's kind of uncomfortable. Those are some of Jesus' uncomfortable teachings. Look, at we are sheep amongst wolves. We shouldn't be sitting here thinking that this world is going to be friendly to us. If you don't think those words of Jesus aren't strong enough, look at these. Jesus says in John 15, 18, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And so, that's sobering. That's tough stuff, but, you know, I would, I would just say, wrestle with the words of Jesus. I didn't make them up. I kind of... I almost wish he didn't say it, but as I also look around and I think about it, well, son of a gun, the whole world does seem to hate Jesus. And at least the way Pastor Brian has been mentioning it in North Andover, that we are living in a culture that is becoming increasingly more and more hostile to the gospel. That's the terrain that we're in. So, who's out there? Who are we going to be dealing with in this terrain? Well, I'm happy to say this is the simple one. You're only going to meet two kind of people in the world. You're either going to people, either meet people who need to know Jesus or you're going, to need to meet, you're going to meet people who need to grow in Jesus. So either people who need to know Jesus or need to grow in Jesus. And our job, and I get a couple of verses, you know, 1 Timothy 3, 4, you know, that God, this is good and pleases God, our Savior, 
who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, right? Or then another verse, when thinking about people who need to grow in Jesus, instead speaking the truth and love, this is going to come up a lot about how we're going to be sharing our taxes, we will grow to become in every respect a mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. You're only going to meet people who either need to know Jesus or grow in Jesus. Those are the only people we're going to be meeting out there. So our strategy, what do we have for resources as we're meeting these kind of people on this kind of terrain? Really, we've got so many, but I'll just mention, the, one of the first ones is the Holy Spirit. Let's remember, guys, we are not in this alone. We are not doing this by ourselves. The Holy Spirit is working in us. The Holy Spirit is working on them. The Holy Spirit is constantly throughout the Bible called the Spirit of Truth. He's the one who does the convicting. He's the one who speaks the truth to people. <coughs> If you probably go back and review your own testimony and you think about how the Holy Spirit led you to the Lord, that's going on in the people that we're engaging with. And he's leading us into all truth. And, and he's even doing that with us now, with me now, as I'm growing in Christ. He's leading me in truth. So remember, we've got the Holy Spirit. Other resources that we have is we've got the gospel. Uh, as, a, as my mentor used to always tell me, he said, Tim, never forget that we have strong medicine. These are the worldviews. Uh, all the worldviews have flaws, but we have the one that is the truly strong medicine, you know, which is the, the gospel of Jesus, died on the cross, paid for our sins, made us right with a holy God so that someday we can be in communion with him forever in resurrected bodies. Uh, that, that's good news, right? So never forget that. You've got our own testimony. That's also one of our resources. Uh, that we have. So just sometimes developing your own testimony. You want to keep these things, all of this, the terrain, the people you're going to be meeting with, and our resources in the back of your mind because that's what's going to help guide your tactics. Uh, now I'm kind of going like a fire hose here. Is anyone kind of tracking along with me here? As we want to engage the tactics, now we're getting onto the field, okay? We've, we know there's a game coming, we know where we're playing, we know who we're playing with, and we know our resources. Now let's start to get onto the field here. So a couple of quick verses about tactics. And this is one of the chief apologetics uh, verses. We use it at Biola University where I go for talking about apologetics. We've used it throughout the seminars that Dan and I have given is, is 1 Peter 3.15. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asked for you to give the reason for the hope that you have but do this with gentleness and respect. So, there's a, quite a bit there. But when it talks about giving the reason, the word reason is the Greek word apologia, which is where the, we get the word apologetics. So when someone says, apologetics, I ain't apologizing for nothing. You know, you can just say, no, no, this is about a reasoned defense of why you believe what you believe. And the Bible tells us, be ready to do that. Um, another good encouraging verse from Paul is, uh, this is, I think, very important. Although we've painted a grim picture of, of where we can be as exiles, and Jesus talking about the world hating us, Paul says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Instead, we demolish arguments. We don't demolish people. We demolish arguments. And we demolish every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So we're dealing with, what are we arguing against? Worldviews. This is why we talk about this. And this is why this is really good on the front end of what Dan has been talking about here. So, one of the chief 
tactics that you can be using is you want to be using what's called the Colombo tactic. And this is where you can find this in this book, Call Tactics. It's one of a number of tactics that he uses. It's the primary tactic. This is one of the simplest tactics to learn. You people will all learn it before you leave today, and you can begin almost practicing it immediately. And it is, uh, it's fun. What the Colombo tactic is, it's named after the uh, old TV detective uh, uh, Peter Falk, uh, I forgot the Colombo's first name, but anyway, Lieutenant Colombo would come onto a crime scene and he would start to assess things. He'd be disheveled, he's got a disheveled coat, bed head, you know, he's kind of fumbling around. He doesn't even have a pencil for him to take notes. He's got a ball from somebody around him, right? He looks completely inept. But what happens as he goes along? He doesn't accuse anybody, he doesn't do anything, he begins asking questions. But these are not just idle questions. These are always guided questions because he's starting to get ideas. And he wants to narrow stuff down. So he'd start to walk away from the crime scene. You know, something about this bothers me. Uh, you know, how did this happen if, if, if she was over there at the time? And then he'd just scratch his head and walk away. But what he was doing in that time was he was putting a stone in the shoe. Dan used that reference. This is in this book, Tactics. And he was putting a stone in the shoe that kind of kept the questions coming and kept people thinking, right? And that's what we're going to be doing. You're just going to be looking at this ability to ask the right questions to put a stone in the shoe of other people to start to challenge their worldview because we want to let them come to a saving knowledge of the truth. So uh, what's, the good, what's the best part about asking these questions? They're disarming. They kind of keep the conversation going. There's a whole host of things. So uh, Jesus used Colombo quite a bit. He said things like, show me a denarius whose inscription is on it. He's asking a question. He's making people develop the thoughts within them, letting the Holy Spirit do, do the work. Was the baptism from John or was it from heaven? I mean, from, the baptism of John was from heaven or from men. He's making people make their own decisions. So, um, there's really two main Colombo questions. You're going to memorize them right now. You're going to love them. The first question that you want to ask somebody is you're going to be listening to them, people will make some kind of a claim, and you're going to simply ask, what do you mean by that? I don't think God exists, God can't exist, it just isn't any evidence. Our inclination, our, what I want to do is, what do you know, how do you know that, you know, I'm a Christian, I know better than you, you need Jesus, you sinner, you're not going to go anywhere, you're just going to go to hell, right? No, instead, engage them in conversation, and, and when you see the brilliance of this, it's just wonderful. You say, well, what do you mean by that? And flesh them out, and they've made the claim. Help them to draw this out. You're getting more information. You're also finding out, well, what kind of God do they not believe in? I've gotten in conversations with people. They've said, I don't believe in God. And then I would say, well, uh, tell me about the God you don't believe in. Well, I don't think there's a God up there that judges between right and wrong. He just wants us to be basically good people. And, uh, oh, so you do believe in a God. Or someone might say, well, I don't believe in a God that's, you know, got a long white beard and just gives us what we want because we pray. Well, I don't believe in that God either. So just ask general questions and you'll get a whole host of information that can keep the conversation going. So the first question you're always going to remember is, what do you mean by that? The second is going to be simply, uh, generally a follow-up to that question. How did you come to that conclusion? That's what you're going to be asking somebody. They might say, well, I don't believe in God. Well, uh, what do you mean by that? Well, I just don't think there's any scientific proof. Really? How did you come to that conclusion? And what this is doing is this is causing them, see, think, remember the Holy Spirit is working on the truth through them. Plus, what's also going on is never forget when these conversations tend to happen, they can very frequently happen in public. There's bystanders around, and they're going through, they're tracking through the whole process too. 
So that's what's actually very important. Sometimes if I am engaged with somebody, I'm very mindful that I'm not going to convert this person who's, you know, adamantly coming against me or, or making some false claim. But there are bystanders, there are people who are listening. So that's what we want to be doing. So, um, I, I, I hope, did they get them passed out here? So, uh, there's some scenes I've got written here on, their, uh, on your table. You're going to get into a little discussion with them. I'm going to read them really quick. But as you're going through them, I want you to do two things. Uh, first, you're going to try to just pull the emotion out of it, dissect it, and say, what is the general claim that's being made? And then maybe think about some Columbo-style questions that you could be asking. So, uh, you know, these are kind of funny. So the first one is just think about this. Is you're hosting a dinner party at your home for some close friends from church. The conversation ranges from sports to politics to spiritual things. Suddenly, to your surprise and embarrassment, your 15-year-old son announces with some belligerence that he does not believe in God anymore. It's simply not rational, he says. There's no proof. You had no idea he was moving that direction. What are you going to say? <coughs> so, the second, <laughs> the, the second scene. So, I've, uh, I've subtitled the second scene, uh, Oprah Winfrey joins your small group. Uh, it's the night of your weekly small group. During the discussion of the Sunday sermon on the Great Commission, a newcomer remarks, who are we to say that Christianity is better than any other religion? I think the essence of Jesus' teaching is love. The, uh, just the same as all other religions. It's not our job to tell others how to live or believe. The rest of the group fidgets a little awkwardly, but says nothing. How do you respond? So, the next one. So, you're riding uh, the university show with a friend who notices a Bible in your backpack. I've read the Bible before, he says. It's got some interesting stories, but people take it too seriously. It was only written by men, after all, and men make mistakes. You try to recall the points that your pastor made a few weeks ago earlier about the Bible's inspiration, but come up empty-handed. What do you say? And then finally, you're sitting at your car dealer. This happened to me, actually, once. <laughs> you're sitting at your car dealer watching TV and waiting with the other customers while your car is being serviced. A news program highlighting religious groups trying to influence important legislation. The person sitting next to you says, haven't these people ever heard of separation of church and state? Those Christians are always trying to force their views on someone else. You can't legislate morality. Other people are listening, and you don't want to create a scene, but you feel you must say something. What's your next move? So listen, you got a couple of options here. Go ahead, and you know, maybe some of these scenarios have triggered real events for you. Go ahead and share it with your group if, it's, if this is kind of triggering something that's close to it. But then as you do that, Pull apart the emotion from it and just get the general claim of what the person is saying and then try to come up with just one or two follow-up questions. Hint, it should sound something like, what do you mean by that? And how did you come to that conclusion? And, and then we'll go ahead and kind of share this around. And this is actually how we begin to practice this because you'll be shocked as, as you begin to think critically this way, this will play out in real life and you will be prepared. So what, what did the son always say? Listen, we would be in these situations, and that's exactly what can happen. You know, if my son did that, I would just be wanting to kill him just for embarrassing me. However, there can be larger things at stake, like the tactics and the terrain, the place that we are, what we want to be doing. And so recognizing that there's also listeners, how can we pull that apart? So the thing about the first scenario. So what did really the kids say, besides doing it belligerently and rudely, he basically said he doesn't believe in God anymore and says that belief in God is not rational and that there's no proof. What could you ask him? If, that, if someone just says that, what, what could you say? Anybody? How did you come to that conclusion? Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. How did you come to that conclusion? Anything else? Anyone else? 
Or you could dig in even further and say, you know, you said it's not rational. What, what parts of it are not rational? Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by, what you would add on, what do you mean by rational? Where's your evidence? Where's your data? What would you consider proof? What would you consider proof? That's enough. All these questions are either questions for clarification or to narrow them down. And you're just getting information, right? So what do you mean by proof? That is a fantastic, because some people just mean scientific proof. So just uh, moving quickly again here. So that's right, a couple of the follow-up questions. Yeah, what do you mean by proof? What's led you to that conclusion? Uh, uh, what's particularly irrational about belief in God? Why is that? You know, there's a lot of rational people who believe in God. So the second one, Oprah Winfrey joined your small group. <laughs> uh, that's the second one. Remember what she said? Basically, she said, listen, there's no object. Christians don't have any right to objective moral duties. Uh, basically said that Jesus teaches love just like all other religions and said that moral duties... Uh, oh, she, basically we have... We have a moral duty to not enforce our moral duty on anyone, right? <laughs> what questions could you ask if someone says something like this? Where do those morals come from? Yeah, where does where, what is that? Yeah, where does that basis? moral? What, where does that? What was this one? What's the basis? Yeah, what's what's the basis? What's the basis? The my one of my favorite ones was, uh, and I worded it this way: <laughs> um, If it's not okay to force a view on others then how effectively can we enforce that view? <laughs> now that's, that's the nice way I would say it. And, then, and, you, and you want to gauge yourself who you're talking to. That's the nicest way to say it. The less nice way I would say it is, if we can't enforce views on others, why are you enforcing your view on me? That's right. yeah. Now th that's a little bit more punchy, but I, so I'm going to gauge it too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assess, is this person really saying this because they sincerely think it and they just need to be you know, pressed or are they a little bit more on the uh, on that hypocritical side going on there? Uh, sorry to fly through this, but I think you guys are getting the gist. Uh, the, the third scenario, so the, your Bible-bashing buddy, I named this one, uh, basically says the Bible shouldn't be taken seriously, the Bible's only a human product, and that it, it, it contains human errors. What questions could be asked? Show me one. Show me one. Show, that, listen, that's a great one, because notice, if you remember when I read it, what does it say? He says, I've read through the Bible. My first question is, what did you read? Because I have read the Bible. And, and I'd love to have a conversation on what they read, even if they disagree with it. Um, but very few people, they read it on the internet. They read that somebody else who read the Bible on the internet. Yes. Said, right. this, that's what happened. Somebody said you, somebody yeah. said you, somebody said you. So you want to be careful of that, too, with the Colombo. It'll be very easy to embarrass people. Yeah. You don't want to embarrass them. Yeah. You want to try to put that stone in the shoe. Uh, if they're belligerent, that you know, it might be okay to put someone in their place if there's listeners, but you want to do that with gentleness and respect. Um, any other questions about the Bible? Anything else you would have said? Well, I think there was an interesting conversation that you were talking a little bit about, okay, so what books do you consider reliable and, you know, that kind of yeah. question, you know, what, what yeah. yeah, did everyone hear that? Yeah. yeah, so what's going to be your source of authority, too? Right. Yeah. What is it that you go to? Yeah. Or, or how about, yeah, that's right, uh, you know, if humans make errors when they when they write, I would ask them where they read that. Yeah, yeah which, yeah. <laughs> nine times this conversation Nine times out of this conversation happens where? On Facebook. Right. Yeah. Because a person might. Right? Right. So, well, yes, sir. I give a simple one, because I've, I've been to the Middle East a lot. I say to people, why are they still digging in the sand? Yeah. Because yeah, I want to know the truth, that's yeah, why. Yeah, what's all, the, what's all the effort for a bunch of errors? We're digging in the sand to find errors? That's a great one. I like that. Um, and then we're going to wrap up here. So, and then the last scene, uh, 
Uh, th this is the car dealership. Uh, basically, I titled this one the secular hypocrite because uh, we're, they like to say those Christians are all hypocrites. Well, we're, we're all hypocrites as in human beings, so uh, this one just is secular. So basically, she's saying that people shouldn't force their views on others. This sounds familiar? That's the other thing you'll see. These things start to sound familiar. It sounds like Oprah Winfrey back at our small group, right? Uh, Christians, uh, people shouldn't force their views on others, says that morality can't be legislated and uh, implies the separation of church and state should exclude Christians from politics. What would you say? With whose opinion should we listen to? And whose opinion should we listen to? Why? Yeah, why? How do we determine morality? Well, how did you come to that conclusion? What is separation of church and state? What is separate? That's yeah. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? What's the Constitution really say? Was it based on? Yeah. What was it based on? What do you mean by that? That's right. Yeah. So if only you know, and again, getting in a little bit more detail, if only activists are entitled to the political views, are only secularists allowed to have political views, or and of course you follow it up with something like, well, what do you mean by that? When they answer that, or aren't you forcing your view on me right now? Well, then the classic, exactly which, which legislation isn't someone's morality? Isn't every legislation someone's morality? So listen, just having some of this in your back pocket, and this might seem overwhelming, you're kind of getting this, but I'm telling you guys, if you even listen, watch TV, go to Star Wars, and you kind of hear the worldview, Enjoy the movie. Don't stop going to movies. Don't stop having a good time. Don't stop, you know, we're not saying anything like that. But pull yourself away just for a minute, or when you drive away and say, you know, if I were sitting there, spoiler alert, alert and Han Solo had just got done telling me it's all true, all of it, I would have said, well, what do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah, in the next one. Yeah, in the next one. You know, and how did you come to that conclusion? They may give you some good answers. That's great. You can follow those up. So this, you just want to do mental pauses when you hear someone make a claim, when you hear the president's State of the Union address. Do mental pauses. What do you mean by that? When you hear the rebuttal, they, what do you mean by that? How did you come to that conclusion? And this is a great way to draw people in. So look, at, here's the takeaways for today. We're going to get you out here. So you want to be listening for worldviews. You get a fantastic cheat sheet that Dan has provided for you. And you want to be looking, and now, very few people have a consistent worldview. Uh, you're going to see bits and pieces. But pay attention to that last column, because that's sometimes where you want those questions to start to be guided when you're doing that. You want to kind of have a strategy in the back of your head. Recognize there's only two people we're going to meet in the world, people who need to know Jesus or people who need to grow in Jesus. And that's it. And you want to be moving everybody in that direction, everybody. And so we're aliens and strangers here, but we can trust in the Holy Spirit and the gospel, and then you just want to ask these guided questions to begin to be moving people into that direction. Uh, told you how you'd be practicing this. So always remember that our goal is merely to put a stone in a person's shoe. We just want to get up to bat, guys. You don't need to get them uh, asking, praying the sinner's prayer and coming to church. If you can do that, fantastic. But the Holy Spirit is we're part of a process here. So we just want to put a stone in their shoe, and we want to always be doing this with gentleness and respect. Um, can I close in prayer? And you want to then, yep, so just get you guys out of here. So, uh, Father, we just want to thank you for this time, this opportunity. We can all be here together for breakfast, for fellowship, for hopefully thinking and learning how to apply deeper things of you and how we can share your gospel, Lord God. We pray that you would continue to work with us through the Holy Spirit, through the people that we talk to and we meet, and that we'll be spreading the truth of your gospel to others. I uh, pray that you would bless us until we can meet again. 
Uh, we love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.